every gulp of cool water we drink, every breath of air that fills our lungs. We praise you that life comes from you. And if you were to turn away even for a second, we would die in an instant. And so help us, Lord, to count our blessings, to know how good you have been to us, to know that in your Son, Jesus Christ, you have been so rich towards us. For we know that Christ, who was rich, became poor for our sake, that we might become rich in Christ. And so bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. So help us, Father. Help us to follow in the shadows of your dear Son, Jesus, to be willing to become poor, even in our finances, for the sake of others and for the sake of your kingdom. Thank you that you give us this privilege and honour to contribute to the work of your kingdom, work that will last for all eternity. So help us invest our life wisely, not in this world, but in the world that comes. And so we ask, Heavenly Father, that you'll continue to work in each of our lives, in each of our hearts, that we'll continue to consider deeply what life is about, what we are living for, Convict us by your spirit and direct us by your word so that everyone here this morning will lead a life that will bring praise and honour to your name. Heavenly Father, we pray for our world. We know you love this world and you tell us so. And so we pray for our fellow brothers and sisters around the world that this new year will be more peaceful than last. We pray for our world leaders that they will all lead a life of integrity and honesty knowing that we'll all have to give an account to you one day. We pray that all the aid and health care for those in need around the world will reach those in need and not squander. We pray for our mission partners around the world. We pray that you'll bless them and bless their work, that their work will bear much fruit for the gospel, the only source of hope for this world. And Heavenly Father, we pray for our nation. We thank you for the privileges we enjoy in this country great education and health care and a fair justice system. We know that all good things come from you. And so we pray for our service providers, our doctors and nurses and teachers and judges and policemen and firemen and the CFA, especially during this hot season, we pray for their safety. We pray that our country, which is moving further and further away from its Christian heritage, will remember the foundations on which it was built upon. We pray that this country will always allow the gospel of Christ to be freely and openly proclaimed. We pray especially for access ministries this year, that you'll grant them all wisdom in knowing how to coordinate and train all the teachers to teach in schools. Heavenly Father, we pray for our church. We pray that our church will always keep evangelism and outreach on the agenda, that you'll give us many, many opportunities to reach this suburb for Christ, to bring the gospel to bear on the many lost souls, in, souls in, even in this suburb. And we pray that in this new year you'll challenge us in new ways to be better evangelists, to be better witnesses of Jesus Christ. We pray for our ministry team leaders this year, the board members and the elders. We thank you, Lord, for their work in serving you at the, and this church. We pray particularly for Ian Jones as he takes up the role of looking after the Sunday school. We pray, Lord, that you'll give him wisdom and provide him with all the number of teachers that he'll require. We pray, Lord, that you'll use this ministry to grow our little ones in this church in the knowledge and love of Jesus. And Heavenly Father, we pray for each of us here this morning. We pray that as this new year may present some difficulties to some of us, to some of us many struggles and some of us heartache, 
Lord, you know the heart of your people. You know how much we can bear. And so we pray, Lord, that you'll provide, you'll comfort and you'll strengthen wherever it is needed. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll give us all broad shoulders that we may share in one another's burdens. We pray, Heavenly Father, also for those on holidays. Please keep them safe and bring them back to us safely. And finally, we pray for our time together this morning that we'll all be strengthened in our faith, that our hearts will, will be filled with joy as we consider the cross of Christ. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. And the church said, Amen. Well, we're going to have our second Bible reading now. Thanks, Shirley. The second Bible reading is from Psalm 22. Um, it is a long psalm, and in the middle of it there was a word that I had no idea. It's called potsherd, which is dried up earthenware. So now I'll start. Okay. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax and it has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, 
praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfil my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, please keep the Bible at Psalm 22. We'll work our way through most of these verses this morning. Uh, But let's turn to God in prayer, asking for his help that we might understand this psalm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you might calm our hearts, open our eyes and ears, that we might understand this psalm, this psalm of David, and what it means for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, have you heard of the story of a mother with two young boys, Josh and Matt? six and four years old. Now these two boys, they were mischievous, they were naughty, they were practical jokers. They were always out looking for ways to cause trouble, just for laughs. Six and four years old. Josh and Matt sounds like my two boys, but anyway. Well their mother just had enough. Couldn't couldn't do anything to keep them calm. Tried all sorts of ways to discipline them, but just didn't work. And so this mother called for her minister for some help to speak to the boys individually. Now this minister, he agreed. Now this minister, unlike me, he was huge. He was threatening, his size was threatening. And so he agreed to speak to the two boys individually. So first he got Matt. He sat Matt down. Now knowing Matt and knowing the troublemaker that he was, he asked Matt... He sat him down and asked him, where is God? Now Matt's mouth dropped. He made no response. He was terrified by the size of this minister. Well, the minister repeated his question, where is God? Now again, Matt made no attempt to answer. And so the minister raised his voice even again, shook his finger in his face with his booming voice, where is God? At that point, Matt, the four-year-old boy, ran out of the room. He got scared, ran into his closet, slammed the door and hid. Now when Josh, his older brother, found him in the closet, he asked, what happened? Matt, gasping for his breath, he replied, we're in big trouble this time. God's missing and they think we did it. (laughs) 
Now, of course, that's just a funny story, a made-up story, in fact. But just imagine life without God. Life where God is missing. Life where we are forsaken by God. You know, when things don't go well, when tough times creep in, when we're overtaken by painful illnesses, when bereavements come in, when we're afflicted with broken love affair, when we're afflicted with unhappy marriages, depression, illnesses, loneliness, when there's pain and suffering beyond comprehension. What's our response? Have we become God forsaken? Has God forsaken us at that point? And do we cry out to God in anguish? Where are you, God? Now, John Stott, the great theologian, in his book, Cross of Christ, this is a must-read book for all Christians, Cross of Christ, in this book he talks of a Christian leader who was brutally honest in his confession about his anger towards God. Now, his name was Joseph, his name was Joseph Parker, who was the minister of City Temple Church in the late 19th century. Now, Joseph Parker, in his autobiography, he said up to age 68, he had never had any religious doubt at all. But then his wife died and his faith collapsed. And this was what he wrote. In that dark house, I became almost an atheist. For God has set his foot upon my prayers and treated my petitions with contempt. Even if I had seen a dog in such agony as mine, I would have pitied and helped that dumb beast. But yet God spat upon my, my prayers and cast me out as an offence, out into the waste wilderness and the night black and starless. Joseph Parker, he felt that he was forsaken by God. The moment his wife died, he thought it was all over. God is gone. Well, of course, he was not the first to have felt that way. The mighty King David, he felt that way as well. In the psalm that we've read, and the psalm that we'll be looking at today, in those famous cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words of Psalm 22. And so that's what we'll be exploring today, this psalm. And today, as we consider this psalm, we'll answer three questions. Why did David cry out these words? What did God do about them? And what does this psalm have to do with us today? Okay, three questions that we'll look at answering. Why did David cry these words? So that's the first one. Well, if you read of David's stories, you'll know that he was the king of Israel, the great king of Israel, and you've read of all his battles. He was chased around by Saul. People wanted him dead. There were assassination plots against him. And even by his own son, his own son chased him out of his own palace. And so King David, though he knew God, though he knew God's love and favour and grace upon him, his hardship was so terrible that he even lamented, he even doubted that God was for him. And so just like that story, Joseph Parker, he cries out for help and his prayers for mercy seem to fall on deaf ears. And so let's look at his cry. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night and am not silent. So you can sense here in these two verses David's anguish, his despair, his hopelessness, his sense of God-forsakenness. But yet David, he records that God was good, that God is trustworthy, that God saved his forefathers, the lives of Moses and Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. He remembered those things and so that's what he goes on to say. Verses 3 to 5, have a look. Yet you are enthroned as a holy one. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered him. They cried out to you and were saved and you were trusted and were not that you sorry in you they trusted and were not disappointed and so david's dilemma now was if god saved his forefathers in their past they trusted him they were saved why not now why isn't that god doing that now david's thinking i'm trusting god now i'm loving god now why isn't he saving me my god my god why have you forsaken me why am I left disappointed? And I wonder whether we ever feel that way. When the tough times do creep in, is that what we think? God has left us. God has gone missing. Well, that was what David felt. Now, David goes on to describe how he's being treated. He explains now his experience. He's treated like a worthless animal. Have a look, verses 6 to 8. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. And what insults do they hurl at him? Well, the ones that hurt most. They say, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. There's nothing worse than to taunt and mock a believer in God. Where is your God? Let him come and save you now. He was mocked in his darkest times. And so David now, he just can't get his mind around this. He's been with God since his childhood, since a baby. In fact, God has been with him since he was a baby. And so he can't make sense of why he feels God forsaken, why he feels the sense that God has forsaken him now. And so verses 9 to 11, look at what he says. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. David has been with God since a baby. But now life was full of misery to the point of death. And again the question is, is this how we feel? Some of us would have grown up in Christian families, but where is God now? Why is my life like this? Now David, he explains a bit more of his experience. He's at the point of death, verses 12 to 18. Have a look. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their, uh, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. 
I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. David's explaining his experience of life. He is facing death. Things are not going well at all. His life is ebbing away. Whatever will there was to live, that was being sucked out. And so he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is King David, remember? He was the king God chose to rule over his people. This was the king who knew God, who loved God. This was the king who experienced all of God's care for him, all of God's mercy over him, all of God's protection over him. But yet he cried these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so now, what did God do about it? Did God leave him to rot? Did his prayers really go unanswered? Was he really forsaken by God? Well, here comes the turning point in this psalm. David's pleading, David's crying for help actually comes answered. Have a look at verses 19 to 21 now. He says, But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me. Now, if you look there in your Bibles, in the NIV, if you look at the footnote, it has, you have heard. That is past tense. God has done something. You have rescued. And so in the last verse there, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And so God has come through. God has come through to save David, to deliver him, to rescue him. And so David, though he was wrestling with the thought that God has forsaken him, he was in fact never forsaken by God. God saved him. That's what God does. And so this was the psalm of David. He felt forsaken by God, but God was with him. God did rescue him in the end. But of course we know this psalm, don't we? And we know that there is more to this psalm than just being a psalm of David. You see, David, when he wrote this psalm, he spoke more profoundly than he knew. He spoke better than he knew. You see, David spoke not only of his own experience, but he spoke here of the experience of someone else. Because who else do we find in the Bible crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who else do we find in the Bible experiencing what David experienced? Well, the answer is none other than David's greatest son, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There's almost an uncanny uncanny resemblance in the experiences of Jesus and David. You see, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in our first reading, we saw this when he was hanging there on the cross. Look at the experiences of David and what he was describing And see the resemblance with what Jesus was experiencing. Jesus was mocked, insulted. You save others, why don't you come down from the cross? Save yourself. Jesus on the cross, his strength was dried up. Every ounce, ounce of energy was used just to take the next breath. His tongue was dry, his mouth was dry. So Jesus, what did he say? I'm thirsty. He was surrounded by evil men. His hands and his feet were pierced just like David. And they divided his garment among themselves by casting lots. Do you see that? you see the similarity there? Now there's this uncanny resemblance, or perhaps it's more God's way of using David to point to something greater, 
to point to someone greater, God prophesying through the Psalm of David. And of course, Jesus also cried out those harrowing words, didn't he? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you see, there's a difference between the experiences of David and the experiences of Jesus Christ. You see, David actually felt forsaken by God. But he wasn't really, was he? God did come through to save him. The Lord was always with him. The Lord saved him in verse 21. But with Jesus, it was a cry of real dereliction. In his darkest hour, when the skies turned black for three hours, Jesus was absolutely alone. Jesus was absolutely God forsaken. The eternal bond, the eternal relationship between the Father and Son was somehow disrupted at that moment. There was an actual and dreadful separation between the Father and Son, never experienced before and never to be experienced ever again. And so it was not merely a felt, but a real abandonment by his father at that time. But then one theologian, he puts it, Cranfield, it's worth remembering this. While this was God-forsakenness, while this God-forsakenness was utterly real, the unity of the blessed Trinity was even then unbroken. So somehow within the Trinity, there's this separation between father and son, never experienced before, never to be experienced again. That was the darkness, the darkest time in all of history. But yet at the same moment, the Trinity remained unbroken. But now we must ask why. Why did Jesus cry out those words? Was Jesus forsaken by his father? Why would the father forsake his own son? Well, we come to our last question now. What does this psalm have to do with us? Well, you see, it is our sins. Our sins that put Jesus on the cross. It is our sins that Jesus willingly bore upon himself so that he can bear the consequences of those sins. To be forsaken by God, that's the consequence. You see, when we sin, we're declaring to God, we don't need you, we don't want you, we don't want to know you. And so for those who choose that type of life, for those who choose a life where we disregard God in every aspect of our life, well, that will be God's answer one day. That will be God's judgment one day. You'll be forsaken by God for all eternity. And so separated from God, separated from all that is good and pure and right and just and joyful and happy, separated from life itself. Forsaken by God for all eternity. That's the result. That's the consequence for those who want it. But then in the wonderful gospel of Jesus, he experienced God forsakenness so that we will never have to. Jesus on the cross experienced, in a sense, hell so that we will never have to. And so that's worth remembering, especially as we now start and begin this new year. What better way to begin the new year than to remember this, that when we reflect on this psalm and we see our life, when we see all that comes our way this year, you know, there will be times of joy, there will be times of sorrow, there will be times of happiness, there will be times of hardship this year, there will be times of peace, there will be times of pain. But whenever I get the inkling, even the slightest inkling, 
that I'm forsaken by God, that God has left me. I need not feel that way. I need not think that way. I can have full confidence that because of Jesus, I will never be forsaken ever again, ever, ever into all eternity. And I'll never experience the darkness that Jesus experienced for me. I'll never experience the abandonment that Jesus experienced for me. I'll never be forsaken. That's how I can face this new year. No matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, I'll never be forsaken. And so what should our response be, knowing this, that Jesus, the greatest son of David, was indeed forsaken by the Father, so that we will never have to? What should our response be? Well, let's consider David's response in the rest of this psalm. David's response was full of praise, full of joy. Have a look, verse 22. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. Verse 25. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of all the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. In the last two verses. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. For he has done it. See how that psalm ends? For he has done it. You see, in Christ now, living on this side of the cross, we've seen how God has done it. We've seen what God has done. And so nothing can bring us more joy, more comfort, more confidence, more boldness, to live this life, to proclaim Christ, to praise God, for Christ was forsaken, so that we will never have to be. Remember that this year. We will never be forsaken by God because of Christ. And so we can live without the doubt that Joseph Parker had. We can live without the doubt that God will always be, will always be for us because of Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm which speaks of the darkness